She's, in, she's going on holiday, but she's in Reading doing a, leading a conference, and then Rick's away at a wedding or something, so we're all running around, and uh, there we are. Rich, actually, during the week, gave me, sent me this email, which I've just got to share with you. It just made me laugh out loud, and uh, let me just see if I can find this, and I'll read it. Okay, it says this. Um, this was in the Bristol Evening Post a couple of weeks back. Outside Bristol, there is a zoo, and there is a car park with spaces for 150 cars and eight coaches. It has been manned six days a week for 23 years by the same charming and very polite car park attendant with the ticket machine. The charges are £1 per car and £5 per coach. On Monday the 1st of June, he did not turn up for work. Bristol Zoo Management phoned Bristol City Council to ask them to send a replacement parking attendant. The council said, the car park is your responsibility. The zoo said, the attendant was employed by the city council, wasn't he? The council said, what attendant? (laughs) He's gone missing from his home, and he's a man who has been taking the car park fees daily, amounting to about £400 a day for the last 23 years, (laughs) tax-free, very roughly... 120k per annum or 2.75 million pounds. No need for a pension then. That's made me laugh. Which actually kind of segues quite nicely into my, my sermon because I was in a car park, and this has probably happened to you. I was in a car park in Marlow, as it happened, a few weeks back. And I arrive there, pulling, I'm undoing my belt, getting my bits and pieces, and suddenly there's this knock on my window. It made me jump, actually. And I look there, and there's this bloke peering in with a smile, and he's got a parking ticket. And he says to me, he says, I've only been here 20 minutes, mate. You, ought to, you, may, you might as well have it. And so I said, thank you very much. That's very sweet of you. And I sat there in the car, and I don't know why it kind of choked me up a little bit. It was just spontaneous, it was just unexpected, and it was just kind of him to think that. Quite what the council would make of it, I don't know, but, but it was a nice thought. And it's little things like this that seem to matter a lot. And isn't it funny, I don't know about you guys, but for those of you who've been walking with Jesus for a while, very often when the Lord begins to talk about something, probably because I'm stupid, he keeps repeating it. And repeating it and repeating it in all sorts of ways. And so this talk this morning is called An Indiscriminate Act of Kindness. And and I really have a sense that for one person here, or maybe for all of us, this could be a life-changing message. We were saying to the team beforehand, we've had all sorts of opposition and difficulty. And sometimes, not always, life happens, you know. But sometimes that means that the enemy really wants to really stifle a child at birth and the child being this message. And really, if you you get anything at all, I hope that you'll leave today with having made a a resolution, a mid-year resolution, that you're going to ask the Holy Spirit for opportunities to show indiscriminate acts of kindness. One of the other examples that, that I had of, of the Lord speaking to me about this was that 
couple of weeks ago, actually it was this week, wasn't it? I was watching the TV and I was just flicking around late at night and uh, there was a sort of eyewitness account program. Maybe you saw it because last Tuesday was the um, anniversary of the uh, terrible underground bomb uh, attacks. 7th of July, 7-7 they call it. And there was a program about some of the survivors from the Edgware Road bomb attack where a suicide bomber with a bomb in his haversack and there were four or five others and one on a bus, the rest were in tube, stage, tube trains, detonated a bomb in the middle of a crowded commuter underground train. And so they were talking to the survivors, but in particular, they were talking to those survivors who stayed behind and helped. I was deeply moved by the beautiful, attractive young 20-year-old woman who, it, it turned out, had over a hundred shards of glass in her face, her neck, her shoulders. And yet after the bomb went off, instead of running away from the smoke and the heat, ran into the smoke and heat. Because she, as she put it, she said, I heard a man calling, help me, help me. Won't anybody help me? And she whipped a scarf off and she knew enough to put a tourniquet on. It's not always the best uh, option, but she put a tourniquet on this man's thigh and he lived as a result. Then there was the teacher. Got a number of teachers here looking forward to their, their break in a week or so's time and you've earned it, every single one of you. But this teacher was stumbling about in the thick, acrid smoke and came across a man. He stayed with that man until he died. He then got up and he stumbled out onto the track and he found a woman propped up. She'd been literally blown through the glass window. And she sat and he sat with her for 45 minutes until help arrived. And the story was all that the whole program was why? What, what is it that rises up within us, or some of us anyway, that would not do the obvious thing, the natural thing, and flee for the, the vague light of a station, but stay behind and help? And possibly as poignant, even more poignant, was the woman they interviewed who said of herself, she, she said this on national TV. Maybe you saw the program. She said, I just knew I had to get out. She said, I, I got down onto that track and I went. I just had to, I could see people. I saw things that I, I don't want to ever talk about again. But I had to get out. And she started to weep. She said, that's not me. I'm a nice person. I'm a helper. I'm the person that everybody comes to. I'm the capable one in my family. It's not me. And that raised a question in my own heart. What would I have done in that terrible, terrible circumstance? Would I have been like her? Because I'm one of the capable ones, that's for sure. Or would I have been like that young woman with over a hundred shards of glass in her face and neck who turned back into the smoke? In response to a cry. I honestly do not know. But one thing I did know at that point. 
was that I've got to practice indiscriminate kindness when there isn't a bomb going off so that if, God forbid, a bomb goes off, I do what comes naturally. And I think the church of Jesus Christ, and Jesus taught about this in a famous, famous parable called the Good Good Samaritan. We're going to look at that in just a moment. The church of Jesus Christ has got to get into training, particularly us in the West, so that we press into the smoke instead of run away. The third thing, and then I'll move on into the actual teaching, and as I said, the Lord just lays these things on. Rich and I had the privilege of a couple of weeks ago being invited to the Houses of Parliament for the National Prayer Breakfast. I was so honored to be asked. I mean, it starts at 7.30 in the morning, but the, basically it's a gathering of the great and the good. I was invited by the, the new Speaker of the House of Commons and the, and the Speaker of the House of Lords, and uh, it was hosted by Lord Hastings of Scaysbrook, the gentleman who hosted our African Children's Choir evening. I mean, the lineup there was uh, the Right Honourable Lord Putnam, uh, there was Peter Lilly, there was John Battle, there was John Batang, uh, there was uh, a whole host of speakers, and, and I just sat there in total awe. I, I felt, gosh, I hope they don't catch on to who I am, because I'll be given the heave ho. But it was wonderful to be there, hearing these, these men and women of faith praying, reading the scriptures, gathering for an hour and a half on a Tuesday in July. Apparently they do it every year. And they invite all those who they consider people to be people of influence and, and what have you. And somehow Rich and I got blagged onto it. But then, a young man stepped up at the invitation of the, the speaker. A young man called Foy Vance. Later on, I found out he's been here, one of our conferences. He did a little musical spot with a vineyard leader. And he sung this song, and this is where the title of this talk came from, An Indiscriminate Act of Kindness. And that was when I thought, oh, that's the title of this sermon. That's what this should be about. And um, I've printed the words out on your sheet. So He's from Ireland. He has got a, a kind of a bit of a lilt, and it's not always easy to catch the words, so you may like to read it through later, or if the light's good enough, you could read it now as we watch this little YouTube clip. Now, I say that because a number of the staff have tried very hard for me to get a, a video clip, a decent quality one that we could show, and there isn't one available. So with the wonders of modern science, we're going to stream this YouTube clip in. So the quality isn't great. But I'd love you just to watch this. It had a powerful impact, and the words had a powerful impact. In fact, I'm going to give you just 30 seconds just to run your eye over that so you're ahead of the curve, and then you'll hopefully be able to appreciate the song and the message, and it'll set you up well for the little bit of teaching I'm going to do on the Good Samaritan. So just, just take 20 seconds to scan that over. If you haven't got one, it's the story of a... Hotel Concierge in London. On a terrible night, a woman with a couple of bags appears and says to him, I, I haven't got any money for a room. Can you give me somewhere to stay? I'll, I'll work for it in kind. And he says, you know what? You can sleep in my room. I'll sleep on the sofa. 
And that's exactly, nothing, no funny business. That's exactly what happens. And she's just blown away by this concierge and his indiscriminate act of kindness. Let's watch it now. Thank you. She came in from the cold wet. Dropped her lucky spikes with the concierge in the eye. Said, I need a room for the night. But I don't got no money. Would you take payment in kind? He said, It's all right. I got a room you can share mine. Then make the bed in the morning. That'll do you fine. You can change in the bathroom, hang your clothes on the line. Until you came to rise, she thought, How could he be so kind? How could he be so kind? How could he be so kind? Sat down on the bed with the needle And he said, I'd hate to see you bleed out Just fetch your warm child, sit with you till you drink She started to cry, saying, why, 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 why Well, consider it an indiscriminate act of kindness Consider it an indiscriminate act of kindness. Consider it an indiscriminate act of kindness. She was cool, turkey, he was holding her hand. She said, I was ruined by a man, and this was never in my plans. I dreamed of men who loved me. Together we'd see the world It's on I lost myself Among the insults Leave the world I'm sure you're wonderful And someday There will surely be someone So just relax now It's important that you count She said how is it You can see past me as I am Consider it an indiscriminate act of kindness. Consider it an indiscriminate act of kindness. Consider it an indiscriminate act of kindness. When you took your chances, it was like you placed a bet. And sometimes this is a Someone defiled You should look them in the eye Then smile Take their hand I better still take them home Home
So that song rung out in the middle of that great place, and you could have heard a pin drop, and we sensed the presence of God, God of compassion, speaking to a nation, speaking to the power brokers, the, the shakers, the movers, show a little kindness, show a little kindness. You know, it's God's kindness, the word of God says in Romans 2, that leads us to repentance. It's his initiative, his willingness to overlook our sin and to, in many ways, seemingly compromise his own character, although we could spend more time talking about that. But overcoming, finding ways to to be just, and yet compassionate, all at the same time. And of course, that's essentially what happened on the cross, where God himself was, was judged, paid the price that you and I should have paid in order that we could be showed kindness. Let's have a look now then at uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, probably, probably everyone here has heard of the Good Samaritan. You may not be entirely familiar with the story or what it's about. Um, It's one of those stories that has kind of jumped ship and become part of our cultural understanding. I mean, we even have an organization, don't we, called the Samaritans, a great organization that's there to, you know, who's in some ways a last port of call for people who are considering suicide and great need. And, and, And so... We have this word, Samaritan, even in our culture today. But the story, and the trouble with a story like that, it is so familiar to many of us that we miss some of the impact of it. And I want to read it through slowly, making one or two points as I do, and then we'll, we'll wind the thing up in about 20 minutes. 
So the story reads like this, Luke chapter 10, 25 to 37. Luke is the only writer that has this story in his accounts. And it goes on like this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. That was his spirit. That's how he came to this. He came to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in some accounts, Jesus commends the lawyer, the expert in the law, about his response. But actually, in Luke's gospel here, which has an emphasis within it for both Jew and Gentile, that's Jew and non-Jew, the take is different. And basically, what, would, what might help us to know is that this story, this question, was a stock opening question amongst Jewish rabbis of the day. It was like... And then you get into the real thing. And Jesus is interesting in that he doesn't answer. He says, well, what do you think? Come on, let's not play games. What do you think? And so the, the, the teacher comes out with his, da, 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 love the Lord God and love your neighbor yourself. Boom. It seems so obvious, so simple, and, and all of the hearers of the day would have understood what was going on. Jesus said in verse 28, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Verse 29. But the lawyer wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, now this is where we can go a little deeper. You see, what was really happening there was that word had got out that Jesus was a Gentile lover. He was supposed to be. He had the reputation of being a Jewish rabbi, which is indeed what he was. And as a Jewish rabbi, the Jewish worldview was that... The world is Jewish, the world is Israel, Abraham is our father and uh, we have the law and we have the prophets and all the promises and that's it and everybody else, well we're not sure about everybody else. And what was beginning to rile the contemporary rabbis and teachers was that Jesus seemed to be a bit soft about the other nations. He seemed to have a, a sensitivity, a care and a concern for them, a compassion for them. He was indiscriminate when he fed 5,000. There were both Jews and Gentiles amongst them. When the crowds came, he seemed to welcome everyone. There were Jews and there were Gentiles there. And so this was part of a setup to flush Jesus out. He hadn't gone public on this yet. And so the the Jewish leaders, the rabbis, the teachers of the law were trying to flush him out so that they could say, we knew it. He isn't a real rabbi. He isn't a real Jewish rabbi. He's, he's Israel, hear this, this Jesus that you're following after, this Jesus that is feeding you and healing you, he's not for Israel. So that was what was going on here. And so the, the real question is not the highfalutin stock theological point. We're now getting to this. The rabbi says to Jesus, and who? <laughs> I got you here, Sonny. 
Who's my neighbour? You know, he could have said, in response to that kind of opening thing, he could have said, oh my gosh, what a challenge. He could have said, oh God, help me to love my neighbour and love my God. But no, he wanted to press in. He wanted to score points. He wanted to justify himself. He was puffed up with self-righteousness. And so he said to Jesus, who is my neighbour? And then Jesus tells this parable. Verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now the thing is that even today, even today, that road, that road from down to Jerusalem... Most people don't go on the, if you're a good Jew from traveling from Galilee, you do not go the, the direct route, the Galilee-Jerusalem road. You will tend, even to this day, to go via Jericho, down the Jordan Valley. Because if you go on the direct route, you go through Samaritan territory. And there is an ancient animosity between Jew and Samaritan. The, 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 the animosity goes right back to, to the beginning of the story where Abraham, who was the father of Israel, was also the father of the Samaritans. And so both great tribes claimed that actually God was their father. That Abraham was their physical father. They both laid claim to the law. And even to this day, when you look at Israel and Palestine, it's the same energy, the same hostility between Jew and Arab that is working its way out. After the breakfast, there were some seminars, and I went, I had the great privilege of going into one of the committee rooms at the House of the Parliament, there was about 30 or 40 of us, and I attended a seminar there where Canon Andrew Wright, the vicar of Baghdad, and various other people spoke about the animosity and how, what can we do in the Middle East? It was fascinating. This contemporary 21st century animosity has its roots way back then. Way back then. It's going on today, folks. Abraham is our father. No, he's our father. No, he's our father. This is our land. No, it's our land. And it was going on then. And so a good Jewish boy and woman would stay well out of the way of Samaritan territory. Wouldn't even walk across it. So... This chap has gone, done the right thing. He's on the Jerusalem-Jericho road. He's gone the safer route. But then it's still pretty treacherous. Lots of bends, lots of turns. And he gets set upon by brigands, robbers, thieves, hooligans. And they leave him half dead. Verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Now, now the priest, we don't know this, but in fairness to the priest, you need to know something. If he was going up to serve at the temple, 
He, he will have gone through, if it was his, they sort of did it on a rotor basis. If it was his turn to serve and he was on the way up to Jerusalem, he would have gone through days of preparation to prepare himself for that. And one of the laws was that if you touched a dead body, you were defiled. You were, you, 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 you were religiously impure. So there was a problem for this priest. He's going to serve the living God on behalf of his nation Israel. He's on his way to the, what they thought was the very center of the universe. He's on his way up to, up to Jerusalem, to the temple of God. And there, suddenly, there's a man in the street, in, in the road, and he's clearly, well, it's not clear. Is he alive or is he dead? If he's alive, he could probably stop and help, if, if there's time, of course. But he looks like he might be dead. So he decided that it would be better not to get involved. It would be better because he was going to be serving the living God in the holiness of his temple. It was better that he did not run the risk of showing charity and love over against holiness and purity. He made a decision. The next one up the lane was a Levite. Now, the Levite, of course, was a priestly family, but it, it, it's difficult to know. Uh, he may just be a Levite peasant, for all we know. They were peasants, even though they had a, a very royal background. But, but maybe... Maybe he, he, he was another temple servant. We don't know. But he was of the priestly family. He, he, he knew God. He knew what it is to be chosen by God. Because of the 12 tribes, the Levites were chosen to serve in the temple. They didn't have an inheritance as did the other as the other tribes did, because the Lord God, it was said, himself was their inheritance. They knew God. But then he suddenly comes across this, this what is it, a, a road accident? What, oh, oh, it's a man in the road. And is he breathing or is he not breathing? And he hurries along on the other side, maybe for fear of being assaulted himself. Jesus is telling the story and the crowd understand the nuance and the dilemma there entirely. And then Jesus said something which made them gasp. Then a Samaritan, verse 33, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. The next day, and he said, look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have had. The silver coin was the denarii. The working man's monthly wages. He gave him two months' wages. And then said, if it costs you any more, I'll pay for it. Verse 36. Jesus asks the question to this hushed room. He looks the lawyer in the eyes. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor? 
to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. And the expert in the law had the wisdom, in my view, not to argue the point. But he said, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You know, we have a a story here that is so familiar. I mean, I don't know how many times I've heard that story. And yet, it's as powerful, it's as shocking, it's as disconcerting today as it was then. Who is my neighbor? You know, a few weeks ago, some of you will remember this story. I told the story of the woman in the Aldi queue. How many of you remember that? Okay, half of you. Without going into the whole story again, I was an an Aldi queue. I'm a great Aldi fan. But one thing you need to know about Aldi is you can't pay by credit cards. So I'm doing you a favor there. You do not pay by credit cards. And there was this woman in there, and she was ahead of me, and there was a long queue. There was a very long queues in Aldi's. And she tried to pay with a credit card, and uh, it didn't work, of course. The woman, immediate, the, the woman behind the counter immediately said, I'm very sorry, but we don't accept credit cards. And she said, you don't... Uh, uh, oh, sorry, it wasn't a credit card. It was a £50 note. That's right. But it was a Scottish note or something. So she said, I'm sorry, we don't, expe- we don't accept um, foreign currency or something. And this woman said, it's not foreign. <laughs> anyway, long story short... This became an international incident. This woman was getting very uptight and very cross and tearful. And and actually, the the woman on the till, she started getting emotional and what have you. And I'm standing there thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm going to be here forever, you know. And we're all fidgeting behind. And all of a sudden, the Lord said, you pay for her. And uh, I looked at the groceries, and it was just... Just family stuff, loo rolls and kids this and, you know. And so I stepped up and I said, I'd like to pay for this lady. And as you remember when I told the story last time, something extraordinary happened. The woman was completely gobsmacked. The whole, everybody was totally gobsmacked. Then the checkout lady started crying and saying, I'm really sorry, it's just company policy. And I'm saying, it's it's okay, please don't cry. No, please don't cry. And I knew things were getting out of control because there were one or two sniffs coming from the line behind. I said, shut up! Don't you start. It was 12 quid or something. It was ridiculous. But you know, it, it kind of really did unlock something. And uh, I've had one or two other occasions since then where I've just, instead of taking the pre-programmed thing of, oh my goodness, whatever, I've just thought, I can do something about this. I can fix this. And and, and honestly, uh, it's happened again. Three, Three times in total, I've been able to intervene in a situation And it just has an extraordinary effect on people. And I think the Lord is wanting to say something to his church in a time like this. You know, last week I was praying with with a family here. They're in church this morning. I'm not going to embarrass them because I haven't. But, But they were absolutely 
just hanging on in there by their, by their fingernails. Because on Friday at 20 past four, they'd been told that they needed to be at, in such and such an office 9.30 the following Monday. And this is in the context of a company where a lot of people, whole departments are being laid off. It was just time to talk to a line manager, and the line manager said, well, you know what this is about, don't you? So they were in church last week, and they were just, ugh. And we prayed, and I'm delighted to tell you that half past ten, quarter to eleven on Monday, they texted through, I've still got my job. There is a lot of fear out here at the moment in our community. People are really back-footed about their jobs. The whole swine flu thing. You know, I've got GP friends. We have GPs in this church. And I've spoken to some of them. And they tell me it's actually turning out, although it's very serious, it's not as bad as it could have been. But the fear about swine flu is disproportionate. People are edgy. They are tense. They, you know, and there's other things as well. I was at a car boot sale yesterday. Those of you who go to car boot sales, which I do periodically, just for the sheer purgatory of it, <laughs> will know that everybody at the car boot sale walks around like this. Because you're looking at the tables, or you're looking at the stuff on the floor, this kind of thing. And the traders are all looking like this. Everybody's got their head down. And all of a sudden, it was a bit of a grey day, as you know. And suddenly the sun broke through, and I felt the Lord say, look up. And I looked up, and there's this football, rugby field. And there's all these people. And every one of them's like this. And it was like a picture of our society. And the Lord said, you look up. And I looked up, and I saw these people. And I'm not the world's most compassionate person. But it moved me. Because the Lord said, I love every one of them. And their eyes are on their feet. Show a little kindness. It's my kindness that leads to repentance. That's all the message is. A silly little message. But it's a world-changing message, I believe. And if the, if the army of God, let's call ourselves an army, if the army of God went out, began each day saying, Lord, this summer, this August, this week, give me an opportunity. Show me how I, me, Chris Lane, this day, can show an indiscriminate act of kindness. If the church would begin to do that, do you know what? It wouldn't surprise me if revival down the, down the track wouldn't break out. We've got to break ranks, folks. There's enough indiscriminate violence in this world, emotional, spiritual, yes, even physical. It's time the church took a leaf out of the book and started showing indiscriminate acts of kindness.
Will you join with me? Let's just try it for the next week. Will you join with me in saying a prayer, saying, Father, this week give me an opportunity to show an indiscriminate, meaning not plan, not for your sister, your daughter, your brother, your husband, but just for some stranger, an indiscriminate act of kindness. Will you do that? Will you join me, with me in that prayer? Why don't we all stand and I'll pray. The worship team will come back up. Lord, so our, our, our society is back-footed in so many ways. We're on the back foot. And maybe it's this moment, this point in time when your church, yes, even your vineyard church here, should should get on the front foot. And even though we ourselves are struggling with the issues and the anxieties about health and the rest that, that, it, that so many are struggling, but I would ask for us here, for as many who will say amen with this prayer, for the conscious attitude that we will leave this place looking for opportunities, maybe just one, to show an indiscriminate act of kindness, just as you are indiscriminate in your kindness. The word of God says the rain falls upon the wicked and the righteous alike. So Lord, I pray that in this coming week, you will bless us and that we'll come back to this place next weekend with stories to tell. Maybe we'll have a little opportunity in the service to tell one or two stories of acts of indiscriminate kindness. We ask it all in Jesus' name.